Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. You know, children say and do the craziest things, do they not? Uh, you know, a couple years ago, I, I got all the children to come up here for the children's story. And, and listen, man, you never know what somebody's going to say or do. I'm telling you what. And one, one, one Sunday morning a couple years ago, one of, these, one of these little kids, they came up here and they started saying, I'm a T-Rex. They're saying, I'm a T-Rex. They're going, roar, roar. Over and over again. And it was everything that I could do not to bust out laughing while I'm giving the devotion and prayer with these kids. You know, sometimes they ask questions and do things that are just insane. I found an article uh, about, about what, uh, it's, it's 18 funny questions kids have asked about God. And I just want to share three of them with you. And the first one I want to share with you, uh, it, it says this. I think my four-year-old son got confused when we told him that God watches over us. He said, wait, so God is Santa Claus? <laughs> Another kid asked this question, is Santa God's really rich brother? <laughs> and I thought this one was pretty funny. If Jesus doesn't have a sister, why do I need to have one? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I tell that to my sister every day. Yes. You know, with all that in mind, sometimes not only do kids ask crazy questions, but sometimes we as adults do. We have a question that says, if a tree falls in a forest and nobody is there to hear it, does it make a sound? <laughs> then this question. Really about the omnipotence and power of God. People have asked, can God create a rock so large that he cannot lift? That's a question designed to trip you up. Oftentimes when Jesus was in his ministry, they asked him questions not to receive any words of wisdom from him, but to trip him up. Today we come to a passage of Scripture beginning this book of Titus. It's very interesting that Paul's writing to his own son, a disciple that he has ministered to and mentored and, and helped develop his craft of preaching and pastoring. And he's writing to Titus, and in his introductory thoughts, he says that God cannot lie. I'm sure you've seen the tract and, and the pamphlet, but today my, my, my sermon is not anything going to be profound, uh, uh, but it's just going to be a simple reminder of, of this thought, three things that God cannot do. Three things God cannot do, but before I share that with you, I have a key statement. I want to just summarize all this stuff. I wrote on this, God can do anything that does not contradict His nature, His will, or His word. Remember that. God can do anything that does not contradict His nature, His will, or His Word. And today, I want to zoom in and focus on this book of the Bible. Now, now you know that there, there's really no reason to doubt the authorship of the Apostle Paul to Titus here in this book. Paul was, was somebody that God has used greatly throughout the Scriptures. And here in the very first word of the very first verse of Titus, it says, Paul, 
And here we believe that Paul is the author. Why do we believe Paul's the author? Well, because the Bible simply says Paul is the author. And it says a servant of God. He is somebody who willingly served God. And, and you know, that's something that we all should be. We should be people. We should be men and women of the faith who's willing to serve God. But I'm afraid, I am so afraid that, that there's a, a generation within modern Christianity that is not willing to serve God. We'll say, God, uh, you know, I'd be willing to serve you in this area, but that means I'm going to have to give up some time. God, I'll be willing to do this, but I'm going to have to give up this and give up that. And I'm just not willing to do that. But perhaps today we can be reminded that Paul was a willing servant of God. And so was Titus. Titus was going to an island called Crete. Say Crete with me on three. One, two, three. Crete. It was an island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and it's still there in existence today. And there he was going to serve and to preach and to pastor and to minister the gospel of Christ. And Paul's writing to him this letter. And the very first thought, I believe, is he saying that God cannot lie. So the first thing God cannot do is God cannot lie. The second thing God cannot do is God cannot change. And the third thing God cannot do is God cannot allow sin into heaven. So those are the three points I want to share with you today. The three thoughts. And before we dive in here, the Bible goes on to say that he's not only a servant... He is a, an apostle, one who's been sent. So Paul was, was willingly serving God, and a willing servant says yes to God. So if God says, go here, yes, sir, I'm going to go. If God says, go over there, he's going to say, yes, I'll do that. And here, that's what an apostle is, one who is sent. And God has called us all to be willing servants, to be willing to go wherever God sends us. Whether that means God's going to send us to Utah, whether that means God's going to send us to Roanoke, Virginia, whether it means God's going to send us to Africa, or wherever it is, God says, be willing to adhere to his calling. And he goes on to say, according to the faith of God's elect, that is, as a child of God, in a sense, we are God's chosen people. In the Old Testament... Yes, Israel was God's chosen people, and they are, in a sense, still His chosen people. And God has a plan for them, and He's still going to use them and, and accomplish His word from the Old Testament and parts of the New Testament about them. But right now, during this age and this dispensation, the church, in a sense, is God's chosen people. So we are the elect of God. And it goes on to say, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. Now, now here's verse number two. Here's where I get my first point today. Three words, God cannot lie. Would you say that with me? God cannot lie. It says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Back in the book of Exodus, we read one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not bear false witness. You know, I think it's, it's, it's very obvious. We've all told lies before. You know, I might have shared this with you before, but, but sometime back we were out doing some door-to-door -door evangelism, and we got on this door, and it was a, a lady answered the door, and, and I began to say, hey, my name is Brian Ratliff. You know, I'm the pastor over here at Cleaver Baptist Church. Just wanted to come by and invite you to, to our services. And I said, you know, um, going to church is very important. But more importantly, if you die today, do you know for certain you'll spend eternity with God? And uh, we began to have a conversation, and I said, well, would you consider yourself to be a good person? And of course, the lady says, yes, I'm a good person. I was like, well, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? And she said, oh, yeah, I've heard of the Ten Commandments. And I said, well, um, have you ever told a lie? And she said, no, I've never told a lie. <laughs> I said, well, 
<laughs> wow. I said, well, have you ever stolen anything? Even if it was a piece of chewing gum from your brother or sister. She said, no, I've never stolen anything. I said, well, okay, all right. Have you ever said God's name in vain, even if it's oh my G-O-D in a bad context? She said, no, I've never done that. I said, well, the Bible says thou shalt not murder, but, but Jesus said, or the New Testament says, if you've even hated somebody, you've committed murder in your heart. Have you ever hated somebody? She said, oh, no, I've never hated somebody. I said, well, Jesus said that, you know, not to commit adultery, but he said, if you even look upon somebody and have a lustful thought, you've committed adultery in your heart. Have you ever done that? She said, oh, no, I've never done that. I said, well, ma'am, are you Jesus? <laughs> Man. Here in Titus chapter 1, the Bible says God cannot lie. And obviously that lady was lying to me that day. And so I pity her when she stands before God. And I pity anybody who says they've never lied. The Bible says in, in 1 John that if we've said we've not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's interesting, back in, in the Old Testament book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 23, the Bible says, speaking of Balaam and, and Balak, in that whole discourse in chapter 23, in verse number, uh, number 19, the Bible says that God, he is not a man, that he can lie. So God fulfills his promises. And here's what I wrote down. God has promised to give us eternal salvation. Is not that what the word says here in Titus chapter 1? It says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So remember the Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So in eternity past, my mind cannot grasp everything about the Word of God, and hopefully one day it will when I stand before Him. But in eternity past, God already set it up and knew that one day the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, would come and live a sinless life and die on Calvary's cross. And then He would give us that eternal life found only in Him. And listen, if you are a child of God, if you believe that Jesus is your Savior, that He died, rose again, and you've asked Him to forgive you of your sins, guess what? You have eternal life. And you never have to worry about it. Being lost, in a sense. Here, the Bible says that God has promised to us. And if He has given us His word, we can take it to the bank. I also wrote down this. God has promised to use us in the Great Commission. God has promised to use us in the Great Commission. So here, God cannot lie. And He told us, it's very interesting. You know, here, here the Bible talks about in a hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. In eternity past, the Bible says in Jeremiah that He knew us before we were in our mother's womb. He knew all about us. He knew the hairs that were going to be on our head or uh, the lack thereof, you know. Uh, he, knew, he knew about all that stuff. And, and the Bible says that, that, that God wants to use us to fulfill the Great Commission. In other words, to take the gospel and to advance it in this world full of sin. Can you imagine the God of the universe who spoke the world into existence, who breathed life into your body, wants to use us to tell others about what he did 2,000 years ago. God, God doesn't need us. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need anybody in this world, but he wants to use us to tell others about that salvation. I also wrote on this, God has promised to return in his bodily descension. 
God has promised to return in his bodily dissension. So, so the gospel is very, very simple. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But to extend it a little bit further, it is the sinless life of Jesus Christ, how he was born of a virgin, how he, he was perfect in every way, thought, word, and deed. And the Bible says that he took our sin, placed it on his shoulders on the cross, and then the blood that poured out on him is the blood that he uses to cleanse us. And then he was placed in a borrowed tomb, and there he rose again victoriously three days later, the Bible says. But then the Bible says he ascended up into glory. He went up from the disciples. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1. And then the Bible says in the same manner he's going to come back again. And throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament the Bible reveals to us that Jesus is coming again. Now you might see somebody on the History Channel or somebody on, uh, on, on some other television show or, or anywhere else say that, hey, the Bible is not really the book that it says it is. Yes, it is. You can mark down that person as a liar. The Bible is the greatest book that's ever been written, and it is the Word of God. And in this book... Many, many times the Bible says Jesus is going to come back again. In fact, he said it himself in John 14. And so I simply wrote down, God has promised to return in his bodily descension. I may not know exactly when. Do you remember several years ago? May the whatever 2000 something, that big old billboard on the side of 581 said that Jesus is going to return. Well, that boy was wrong, wasn't he? <laughs> There's been so many times people have tried to name the day and time when Jesus is coming. That's why in his word he said, no man knows the day or the hour. I think we can see the seasons and we can see the signs of his soon return, but we're not going to be able to pinpoint the exact moment. So never be foolish to believe what somebody has said when exactly he's going to come. He's going to come sometime in the future. That may be today. That's why we believe in the imminent return. And he said he's going to return, so he cannot lie about that. So God cannot lie. That's something found in the Old and the New Testament. But now I want to share with you secondly. Remember, God can do anything that does not contradict His nature, His will, or His word. First of all, God cannot lie. But second of all, three words, God cannot change. Say that with me. God cannot change. There's three verses I want to zoom in and focus on that, that coincide with our passage here in Titus. If you got your Bibles, I want, I want you to turn over to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, the very last book of the Old Testament. So just turn to your left and you'll find Malachi. Malachi was a prophet in the Old Testament. We don't have time to talk about him a whole lot, but anyways, he was a prophet that was used of God to speak his word. And in Malachi chapter 3, in verse number 6, He's quoting the word of God to the Israelites. And he says, For I am the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So speaking of Jehovah God, he says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. So as I read that, I wrote down this. God is unchanging in his divine attributes. Today, we could spend a whole lot of time talking about his characteristics or his attributes, but God, in his, in his nature, his nature does not change. And I believe that in this verse, looking at all the entirety of, God's, of the scriptures, the Bible simply teaches that God is unchanging in his attributes and his nature and his divine qualities. Now, you know, 
in your life from the time you were born, you were a kid jumping on the chandeliers and jumping all over the pews, okay? Yeah, we can go back in time and all of us did that stuff. So let's not give these kids as hard of a time. And then we go off to middle school, high school, and some went off to college, some may not have. And, and you know, we, we get educated a little bit. We get a little bit smarter. And so anyways, then we, we begin to develop stuff. And, and, and if, you, if you've noticed, maybe, maybe the way you have thought mentally about certain perspectives of life, maybe that's changed over the years. One thing I've noticed is that, you know, when I was about 16, I knew everything. I was omniscient Brian Wayne Ratliff. <laughs> and I realized that, you know, my parents were, were not as dumb as I thought they were. And that they knew more than what I thought the older I get. Did you not come to that same understanding? Sure we did. We have all changed. Your sense of fashion changes. Your sense of taste in music may change throughout the years. Maybe even your theology about God has changed slightly than what it once did. But I want you to know this, that God is unchanging in His divine attributes. Your characteristics might change slightly from here to there, but God's does not. God is, is, is eternally the same all the way from eternity past to eternity future. In Psalm 102, if you got your Bibles, turn over to there. I'm going to give you two Old Testament passages and then one New Testament one. Psalm 102. Remember, Titus, Paul's writing and he's talking about all these things about how God cannot lie. He's promised all this before the world began and now we're talking about how God cannot change in Psalm 102. Oftentimes we, we think of the book of Psalms as, you know, the worship book of the Bible. And, and certainly it is. And it's songs that people have written many, many years ago. And, 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 and we can still sing them and read them and, and gain inspiration and motivation to lift up our hearts and our minds and our hands in praise. But I want you to know that, that this book in Psalms is still profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness, as Paul said to Timothy. And here in Psalm 102, verse 25, it says, of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth. That settles the debate about who created this world. God did. And it says, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. So when you look at the earth, you look at the dirt on the ground, you look up to the sky at night and all the constellations, you know that God is the source and he put it all there. Verse 26 says, they shall perish. And one day, the Bible says in Peter that all that we see is going to wax worse and worse. It's going to be burned up with fire and God is going to establish a new heavens and a new earth. But it says, but thou shalt endure. God is going to outlast everything that we see. And it goes on to say, yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. Have you ever had a piece of clothing? that you wore and you wore and you just wore it out. God can never be wore out. It goes on to say, As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. Speaking of the heavens and the earth. But it says in verse 27, But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. I wrote down this. God is unchanging in his sovereign will. 
God is unchanging in his sovereign will. Remember what he said in the book of Peter in the New Testament. He said, God is not willing that any should perish. Here the Bible is talking about how the earth and the heavens are going to perish. But he says about all the people that's ever lived or ever will live. He says, God is not willing that any should perish, but all that should come to repentance. And that is God's will. God's ultimate will is that every person of every nationality, of every country, would spend eternity with him in heaven. And he has not changed that. And he will not. Hebrews chapter 13, the third and final one about God not changing in correlation to our passage in Titus. In Hebrews chapter 13, you might have this verse memorized. Remember, the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. And so here, back in Psalm 102 and in Malachi, the Bible talked about how God does not change. And here, here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 about Jesus. It says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. So I wrote on this, God is unchanging in his covenant promises. So he promises eternal life here in Titus and in John 3, 16 and other passages. And since he promised that, he's going to give it to us. He promised Israel certain things in the Old Testament and in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11. And because of those promises, he's still going to fulfill those promises. And so as we think about all this, let's keep this in mind. That since God keeps his promises, may God help us to do the same. God cannot lie. God cannot change. Remember, God can do anything that does not contradict his nature, his will, or his word. Sometimes our nature contradicts itself. Sometimes our wills contradict itself. Have you ever written out a last will and testament? You know, it's an act of Congress to try to change that after it's been stamped and approved by the lawyer and everybody else. It's an act of Congress to try to change it. And listen, maybe you, maybe you set a will out there and you kick the bucket, you pass away, and somebody doesn't like your will. <laughs> it is a double act of Congress to try to change it then. It can't be done. But I'm glad that God's last will and testament is found right here in his word. No matter how many times the devil has tried to alter God's word or to change it or to remove it or to add to it, the Bible says his word cannot be added to or taken away from. And in his word, we find these promises. So now the third and final thought. A great review for us today. God cannot allow sin into heaven. God cannot allow sin into heaven. We've looked how God cannot lie. We've looked at God cannot change. And now, let's look at how God cannot allow sin into heaven. Look at verse number 3 of Titus chapter 1. It goes on to say, But hath, remember it says in hope, in verse number 2, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Then verse 3, But hath in due times manifested. That means to make something known or reveal something. It says he has manifested his word through preaching. Would you say preaching with me? Preaching. Preaching simply means to herald forth the message from God. And here I think it's interesting how the Bible says to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Bible does not say to go, all, to go into the world. Here it doesn't say that he is manifesting his word through a great influence or through popularity or through friendships or through singing or through uh, all the other manners that we, we try to label it under. God is advancing his word through the preaching and teaching of his word. Certainly, you can teach somebody God's word through a song. Absolutely. But the Bible says, go into all the word and preach the gospel. 
and hear. The message that we are to promote is that God cannot allow sin into heaven. You say, why would a loving God send somebody to hell? Well, a loving God doesn't send anybody to hell. Somebody goes to hell because they sent their self there. The Bible says that he has made it every way possible. God has done everything to make it as easy and as simple as possible for somebody to go to heaven after they die. In John chapter 3, we read about Nicodemus and his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and how he said a man must be born again. Have you noticed, have you noticed the much preaching today? Now, I listen to a lot of preaching and a wide variety of preachers, and I like it, and I love it. But one thing I've noticed is, is that a lot of pastors, even Baptist preachers, are not saying the words born again as much as they once did. So today, I want you to know this, that if somebody is not born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm not saying pray a prayer. I'm not saying get baptized. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying being born from above, that there's the Holy Spirit of God coming and making manifest inside of your mind and your heart. Then John chapter 3 goes on after his conversation with Nicodemus. He extends it and he says, just as the, just as the, the, the serpents in the Old Testament book of Numbers, you know, they looked to those serpents, all those who looked to Jesus will have eternal life. It's as simple as that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I wrote down this, sin separates us from the presence of God. Sin separates us from the presence of God. It doesn't separate us from God's love. Because throughout Scripture, the Bible makes it clear that God loves us. But what sin does is it separates us from God's command. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we read in that season of the book of Genesis how God placed Adam and Eve. They put them in a garden, and there they were not supposed to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They could eat of any tree in that garden except that tree. So Eve was, was tempted by the serpent there, she gave in to that temptation and Adam steps in and he eats that forbidden fruit too. And as soon as they ate that forbidden fruit, the Bible says that, that, that they were separated from God. Boom. The fall of man, Genesis chapter 3. And because of that, God found them. And then he placed them out of that garden, away from that tree of life. So sin separates us from God's presence. But God still wants His presence with us. That's why He's done John chapter 3, verse 16. That's why we have His Word. That's all of these things. And here, I want you to know this, that, that there's nothing good, there's nothing so good that we could do to gain that presence back apart from Jesus Christ and His gospel. I wrote on this, sin can only be forgiven and purged by the mercy of God. Sin can only be forgiven and purged by the mercy of God. Later in the book of Titus, we're going to read this verse. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy. Say mercy with me. Mercy. Say it again, please. Mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. God's mercy is simply put, Giving somebody something they do not deserve. We do not deserve to go to heaven. I deserve eternity separated from God in a devil's hell. And so do you.
And so does everybody else that's ever lived. But I'm glad today that if I lift up my vocal cords and I lift up and I turn my eyes up to the heavens and I say, God, I have sinned, forgive me. I'm glad that we serve a risen Savior who has the power to forgive sins. I also wrote on this, sin has been defeated by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, there's going to be days in your life when, when we're going to get beat up by the devil. And we're going to give in to temptation. We're going to sin. Ultimately, I'm grateful that every sinful stain that has ever been on my soul or that ever will get thrown on my soul has been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our text goes on and it says in verse number four to Titus, my own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus is one of the pastoral epistles. So you have First and Second Timothy and Titus, and some people also include Philemon in there, some don't. But in these three or four books of the Bible, oftentimes we say that these books are for pastors. And pastors are the ones who should read them and study them. Or somebody who is feeling that call in God's life, that's, that's who should read this. No. Just because Paul's writing to two young men who are going to be pastors does not negate the fact that this book was written not just to Titus and for Titus, but for all of us as a New Testament child of God. So as we embark on this journey through this epistle, I want you to know this, that Paul comes straight out the gate and he says that God cannot lie. And an extension of that thought, God cannot change and God cannot allow sin into heaven. So the next time somebody asks you, can God create a rock so large that he cannot lift? to try to discredit the omnipotent power of God. Just say this. God can do anything that does not contradict His nature, His will, or His word. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith, 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.